Turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 62, beginning at verse 1. It's so good to be in God's house. It's so good to have all of our guests with us today. We are honored and privileged that we count it a privilege to have you with us today. And we want to see God work in your life like he has worked in ours. There are a variety of backgrounds represented in this sanctuary today and throughout this building. And so it is evident to us not only from the Word of God. We know from the Word of God that God is able. But we've also seen it. We've also experienced it. And a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. I've experienced it. I know he's faithful. I know he is just. I know he is merciful. I know he's on my side. In Jesus' name. Isaiah 62 and verse 1 says, For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. Verse two says, and the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness and all kings thy glory. And thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. You are who God says you are. I feel like preaching today. Thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate. But thou shalt be called Hephzibah, and thy land Beulah. For the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. I'm going to preach today with the help of the Holy Ghost from desolation to declaration. From desolation to declaration. Let's put our Bibles down and let's go before the Lord in prayer this morning. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for all that you have done. We thank you for all that you are doing. God, I thank you for your word that is forever settled in heaven. God, I pray that your will would be accomplished in this service. God, I thank you for each and every person that is here, God. They are your children, whether they realize it or not, God. They are your children. Your hand is upon them. God, you desire to work in their lives. God, you desire to do it today. And I pray, God, that we would respond to your word today. In the name of Jesus, we pray, God, let your will be done. Let us grab a hold of your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Why don't you shout amen this morning? In Jesus' name. You can be seated. From desolation to declaration. It was April 26th, 1986, at approximately 123 a.m. When a power surge began to flow 
into the fourth reactor at the nuclear plant in Chernobyl. This increase in power led to explosions in the core of the reactor and large amounts of radioactive fuel and core materials began billowing into the atmosphere. In a matter of minutes, this accident forever changed the landscape in the Soviet Union. In time, it would cripple the economy. It would cause approximately 350,000 people to relocate. Between 1986 and 2004, there would be an estimated 30 to 60,000 patients diagnosed with cancer, which was a direct result from the nuclear fallout from reactor number four. 30 to 60,000 cancer patients who would then perish. You can watch documentaries and you can see video clips that show helicopters, news helicopters and military helicopters flying as close as they thought was possible to the nuclear reactor and you can literally watch as they melt from the sky. Literally melt from the sky. It was utter destruction that left the facility in ruins. In fact, today Chernobyl is vacant and is known as one of the largest ghost towns in the world. It is, in fact, the poster child of desolation. When people look at pictures or even just mention the name Chernobyl, their focus does not turn to the benefits of nuclear power or what could have been. But all that we see is the devastation. All that comes to our mind is the lives that were lost and the lives that were forever changed, the disaster, the heartbreak, the turmoil. That is the very poster child of desolation. In our opening text, we find a situation that has had the same earmarks of desolation. But yet, even in the midst of the desolation which the prophet Isaiah writes to us about, we see a thread of hope. We see a thread of promise. The prophet Isaiah is said by some scholars to be a prince among the prophets. Many believe that he has... Uh, that he was the literary prophet who set the bar for excellence. Few, they say, understood the implications of Assyria's threats against Israel, the northern kingdom. And as Assyria is gathering her armies to come and carry away the northern kingdom of Israel, Isaiah begins speaking both words of comfort and words of reproof. He penned and declared oracles of judgment, but also we get the understanding from Isaiah's writing that every time judgment is spoken of, there is also the element of hope or mercy. On the cusp, on the edge of the impending invasion of the Assyrian army, with desolation looming on the horizon, with certain destruction coming to Samaria and the northern kingdom as a whole, Isaiah is instrumental in prophesying of a coming Messiah. I know that there is desolation on the horizon. I know that things are not as they could be. He is preaching. He is writing uh, not simply to us, but in his original context, he's writing to people that have fallen into idolatry. 
He is writing to a group of people who have fallen into paganism, pagan worship, the worship of idols. He is writing to people that since the times of the king Jehu over the northern kingdom of Israel, things have been consistently moving backward, consistently moving in the opposite direction that God desired. And so he understands that this is God's judgment. But in the middle of God's judgment and in the middle of desolation that is on the horizon, Isaiah takes the time to let you and I know that that's not God's final destination for you. That is not God's final plan for your life but in the middle of all of that I need you to understand that there is also coming a Messiah I come to preach today to a group of people that you might have walked in the doors with baggage today you might have walked in the doors with the scars of the world you might have walked in the doors of the church house today feeling the effects of sin and degradation in your life you might walk in today feeling the effects of poor choices and this or that and your body bears the scars and your emotions bear the scars and, and you've got the wounds to show. Yeah. Oh, but in the middle of all of that, you're here today. In the right place. At the right time. And God's saying, I want to move you from desolation to declaration. In the closing section of Isaiah's work, we find our opening text. We're not going to take the time to dissect his, his literary work that we call the book of Isaiah. We're not, we're not going to take the time to do that today, so I need you to take my word for it and study it out on your own. But in Isaiah chapter 62, it's kind of right in the middle of the last section of the book of Isaiah. It says, for Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until... The righteousness thereof go forth as brightness, and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. The word Zion is used for the first time in the second book of Samuel. Let me just pause here. I had him turn the monitors down. Is it better? My ears felt like they were getting ready to start bleeding. Are y'all okay? Because you're not going to get what I'm preaching if you're sitting there cringing, okay? Everybody good? Give me a thumbs up. Brother Roger, how is it back there? Still a little loud? Is it better? Okay. Thank you. Hey, I'm being serious. I'm being serious. Because you're not going to get it if you're sitting there cringing. Everybody good? All right. Thank you. The word Zion is used for the first time in the second book of Samuel. And it's used there to label a mountain that is near Jerusalem. You see, Jerusalem had been a fortress of a people called the Jebusites. And the Jebusites were a mean bunch. The Jebusites were a nasty group of people. The Jebusites were folks that hated the Israelites. In fact, they would mock them anytime they got close. And they would tell them, you know, our city is so strong. Our city is so big and bad. And our city is so great. And our city is so well defended and so well fortified. Our, our turf is so good that we could all leave. And we could just leave the old people. And the cripples, and even the old people and the cripples could defend it against you. Something started sparking inside of a young man by the name of David. And he said, I just don't quite like that. I just don't quite buy into that. I, I don't like it when somebody tells me that, that God is not able to take what is ours and 
give it back to us. And so David starts hatching a plot. And David eventually, with the help of Joab, his cousin and the captain of his army, uh, Joab and another man, they, they find the gutters into the city. Jerusalem, Jebus, as it was called then, was situated on the top of the mountain. And he found some, some tunnels, or some gutters there that held water and either carried water and sewage out of the city or were cisterns that held the water. But either way, they, they climb up through these gutters and they, they get to Jerusalem's inside. And they open the gates and they allow the army to come in. And so it is there in, in 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 7, if you must know, that, that Zion is used. And Jerusalem that had been a fortress for the Jebusites, uh, uh, David determined to conquer and he reclaimed it for the glory of the Lord. That's a whole other message that we could preach this morning. But, but I need you to understand today that Zion has also been symbolic of the temple. It has also been symbolic of the eternal holy city or the new Jerusalem that God is preparing for you and I in heaven. It has also been symbolic of the church of the living God. This one verse in Isaiah lets the reader know, lets us know as well, that God is not going to rest. He is not going to rest. For Zion's sake, will I not hold my peace? And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness and the salvation thereof as a lamp that is burning. God is not going to rest until the church until Zion becomes a burning lamp of salvation to the entire world. I come to let somebody know today that God's still on your side, that God still wants you to succeed, that God wants to use you for his glory, that there are people that only you can reach, that God wants to use you to evangelize the world. I come to preach to you today, there's some places that you can go that I may not be able to go, and there are people that are going to listen to you that may not listen to me right away. God wants to use you as a lamp barrier God wants to use you as a light carrier you are the salt of the earth you are the light of the world you are a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid and God's not going to rest until Zion becomes a burning lamp of salvation to the whole world it's with this understanding today that we understand that God is still working that God is not slack concerning his promise but God wants everybody in the world to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice what's going to happen when the light of the church begins to shine as God desires it in verse 2. And the Gentiles, that's you and I, that's everybody that's not Hebrew, shall see thy righteousness. And all kings thy glory. And thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. He said, I need you to understand that although the church has been mocked and although the church has been scorned and although the church has been ridiculed since the time of Christ and even before, God is going to give a new name that's going to be recognized by all nations, by all nations and by all powers. And it is the name of Jesus Christ. And so when we come into the church house and we start singing Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to the King, it's the name that we are glorifying. God, we want to give you praise. Jesus, we love you. 
you. Jesus, we magnify your name today. There's something that begins to happen when the name of Jesus is lifted high. If you've got friends and family that come to church for the first time, I know that it's, it might get a little uncomfortable to your flesh. Your carnal nature says, man, I don't want them to see me worship like I would if they weren't here. I don't want them to see me acting crazy. Well, let me just pause here and tell you. They saw you acting crazy in the bar, and you didn't care. They saw you acting crazy up in the club, and you didn't care. They saw you acting crazy at the family reunion, and you didn't care. They saw you acting crazy at the work Christmas party and you didn't care. So don't you start caring when you come to church. Because I'm going to tell you right now that if you'll lift up the name of Jesus, the same God that moved in your life is able to move in their life. And when we lift up the name of Jesus, something begins to happen. That's why we can't afford to have quiet church. Let me preach to all of our first generation apostolic Pentecostals. If you're first generation, if you were the first one in your family to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name, uh, living this lifestyle that is so blessed and so lovely, uh, I- I'm going to preach to you the reason that you were saved is because somebody else in the church started lifting up the name of Jesus and it created an atmosphere for God to move in your life and you started feeling something that you couldn't have felt other otherwise so we far be it from me to say now that I've got it I'm just going to be quiet like a church mouse oh no no sir no ma'am when the name of Jesus is lifted high others are going to be able to see the righteousness of God they're going to see the glory of God when the name of Jesus is lifted high. Well, I just don't know. I'm getting off my notes, but let's ask Simon the Pharisee. <coughs> Invites Jesus to his house. I believe it's Mark chapter 7. The Bible tells us plainly that Jesus could not be hid. He could not be hid. He won't be hid. And what started as just a little dinner party, a little bit of Simon the Pharisee, the religious leaders of that day, part of them. All of a sudden, the door opens to Simon the the Pharisee's house. And a woman comes in who had been a prostitute. That Jesus cast seven devils out of her. And she comes in and she's got a box of ointment. She breaks the ointment. She pours it over his feet. And Simon is thinking, okay? Doesn't say it out loud. The Bible says he thought it if he knew who she was. If he was really a prophet, he'd know this kind of woman. He would know what she's done and who she is, and he wouldn't be letting her touch him. But Jesus, being all-knowing, hearing the thoughts of Simon, he said, Simon, let me ask you. 
Did you provide water for my feet to be washed? That's the custom of the day. No, sir, I did not. He said, but this woman hasn't ceased to wash my feet with her tears. Did you anoint my head? No, sir, I didn't. But this woman hasn't stopped anointing my feet. He said, let me ask you, if, if a king pardons a man who owes him approximately in our day and age $15, and he forgives the debt of $15, and if he forgives another man whose debt is upwards of $100,000, or in fact, I think the actual math turns out to closer to $1 million, and he forgives that debt too. Who do you think is going to love him more? He said, well, obviously the one that had the bigger debt. He said, exactly, so leave her alone. I just come to let somebody know, you don't know like I know what the Lord has done for me. And when I come into church, it's not time for me to be quiet. He's been faithful. He's been good. He's been better than good. He brought me from desolation. He said, there's going to be a new name that I'm going to give to you. It's a name that's going to be recognized by all nations and all powers. It's the name of Jesus. And ladies and gentlemen, it is given to us when we are baptized into his name. It it was prophesied by Isaiah in chapter 62 and verse 2. He said, there's a new name that I want to give to you. Verse 3, thou shalt be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. Do you see what begins to happen? Do you see the change in value? I come to preach that into somebody's spirit today. you got to see your value, not through what the world says, but you need to see your value through the eyes of God. When you're out in the world and you're at your workplace, they might look down their noses at you. They might think you're worthless. They might see you as you used to be. Your family may not understand. They might only see you through your past. They might only see you through the lens of your mistakes. But do you notice the change in value happens when you get in the right person's hand? When you get in the hand of the master, all of a sudden now, you're no longer labeled by your mistakes. You're no longer labeled by the desolation. But now you're a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord. A royal diadem in the hand of your God. You've got value. You're marked by royalty. With the changing of names comes a transformation in character. comes a shift in purpose now you don't just have to be working your nine to five for the man oh you might still go to the same job park in the same parking spot race through the same parking lot after the doors open to leave But you can do it differently. Sister Heather, I, you might be wiping the same snotty nose, little brats' noses at the. <laughs> Jesus. 
investing in duct tape. I'm gonna wrap them kids up. Talk to me like that one more time. I'm going to prison. You might go through the same motions, but now your position is different. Oh, you might not be the big dog on campus, but you're the big dog in the kingdom. All of a sudden, you're walking into the factory with the answers to all of the questions that the co-workers have. The co-workers that try to drown their emotions and try to drown themselves through the weekend because they have no purpose and they feel lost without the work day. I come to preach to you today with the change of names is a shifting in positions. You've got the answer. Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate. But thou shalt be called Hephzibah, and thy land Beulah. With the changing of names comes a transformation in character, a shift in purpose, an alternate option of future events. Before the changing of names, you were driving down the broad highway that led to destruction. But when your name changed, the road changed, and now you've got an option. You don't have to be labeled with everything you used to be. I come to preach hope to somebody today. You don't have to keep going through the motions. You don't have to. You've got breath, but you don't have life. He said, I am come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. I want you not to just go through life. I want you to have life. I want you to be life. The path that you were heading down is no longer the path that you must remain on. Your previous destination does not have to be your current destination. You were on your way to destruction. You were on your way to desolation. And your car had three flats and the power steering didn't work and it was a whole mess. It had the old hand crank windows and the cranks were broke off. And it was the middle of summer and the heat was hot and the AC didn't work. That's the perfect description of misery. Some of us have been there and we got eight cylinders but only four are working. And we're popping and we're hopping down the road and we're not sure how much longer we can make it. But with a change of names comes a change in position. And all of a sudden, my way is no longer destruction. My way is no longer desolation. But that changes. It all changes when you get in the church. It all changes when you change masters. Let me remind you that Isaiah is preaching to Israel who is still living in idolatry. And he's saying, hey, if you'll ever get that out of your system, there is a change that can take place. And when Israel turns from idolatry, the words of the prophet are that you're no longer going to be forsaken and you're no longer going to be desolate. When you get up... When you get in the church, when you make up in your mind, I'm tired of living for my own will. I'm tired of living my own ways. I'm tired of trying to figure it out on my own. 
I come to preach today to somebody that's broke, somebody that's busted, somebody that's disgusted, somebody that's tired of spinning your wheels and wondering when things are going to change. I've got the answer. It can change today. It can change right now. But you got to be willing to be called by a different name. We are sitting amongst a group of people today that when they realize that the high that they were experiencing in the world was not a high but was actually a low. When they realize that the alcohol could not drown the reason why they had those feelings. When they realize that the abuse, the physical, emotional, sexual, mental abuse ah, was not did not have to be their identity. They rose from the... the ashes of victimhood and they said I want to be a child of God did they have mistakes you better believe they had mistakes did they have regrets you better believe they had regrets but when they came to the altar and when they allowed God to work in their life you wouldn't believe the stories if I pointed them out today, which I'm not going to do. Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken. Neither shall your land anymore be termed desolate. The enemy has come against you for so long that you don't even remember who you're supposed to be. I'm going to preach to the spirit of our age. And I'm going, to, I'm going to preface this by saying we don't hate anyone. Period. We don't hate anyone based off the color of their skin. Their nation of origin. You ready? We don't even hate anyone based upon their sexual preference or orientation. Well, pastor, does that mean that we're just opening our arms and embracing everybody? You better believe it. We're going to embrace them all the way to the altar. I'm going to preach against the spirit of our age here for a moment. It's a spirit of our age that has people so confused. They don't know who they are. They've been exposed to the lies of the enemy so long and so hard and so deep that the hurt runs so... Let me just pause here. Did you know the leading causes of a man becoming a homosexual? The leading causes are physical and sexual abuse. There are others. But when you see that person, you're a child of God. And so are they. They just don't know it yet. And they'll never be able to know it if when they pass us in the store, we're looking down our noses at them. Listen, 
We don't agree with the lifestyle. It is sin. In fact, the Bible says it's an abomination to God. But where sin doth abound, grace does much more abound. Our God is still able to save. He's able to pull them out. He's able to redeem. He's able to change their name. But the spirit of our age wants them to think that they are forsaken, that they are desolate, that they have nothing going for them. You can do the research on your own, but the last several perpetrators of mass shootings in our country have proclaimed themselves to be transgender and non-binary. What does that tell us? I know what it tells me. It tells me that the world they thought was going to embrace them and love them and make them feel safe and make them feel special is a world filled with abuse. It is a world filled with self-centeredness. I spoke with a man who became a convert later in his life, but he had lived a homosexual lifestyle for more than 40 years, and he gave me permission before he passed to share this. So he said, Pastor, He said, my life was so messed up. He said, I'd wake up in my big house and there would be people dressed like all kinds of things, things that I can't even say from the pulpit. He said, they were people that I didn't even know. I didn't know who they were. I didn't know where they had come from. I didn't know what they had done. I didn't know what they had done to me. He said, and that's the life. And the world is beaten into our kids. The world is beaten into our children, into our babies. That that's what you have to be in order to be somebody. But I come to let you know that that road leads to forsakenness. That road leads to desolation. But I'm preaching to a group of people today that need to grab hold of the understanding that God can change it all. They had been called forsaken. It literally means they had been renounced. They had been turned away from entirely. They had been abandoned. Their land itself was called desolate. It was devoid of inhabitants. There were no visitors. It was deserted. It was marked by devastation. There was no joy. There was no consolation. There was only sorrow throughout it. It was sorrow as if separation from a loved one. That's the kind of place that they were living in with the enemy bearing down on them. That's who they were. That was their identity. But the prophet steps to the scene and he said, I need you to understand that the enemy recognizes you as abandoned, as deserted, as joyless, as separated from the person that you love. But God said, he's going to change your name. God said that. That's not your end. That's just your temporary circumstance. 
Verse 3, he continued, Thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. We've got to notice there's a change in value based upon whose hand we are in. All of a sudden, we're no longer alone. We're in his hand. No longer are we worthless. Now we're royalty. No longer are we poor. We might be poor in spirit, but ours is the kingdom of God. were called forsaken you were called desolate I want you to think back to those moments right before your conversion with George sister Tracy it looked a lot different then than it does now thanks be to God There's a changing of names. Forsaken. But now, your name means my delight is in her. You had been abandoned. But now, he delights in you. Now, you're the apple of his eye. Your land that had been called desolate that had been in grief and mourning is now called Beulah. And no, that's not some deep south redneck name. (laughs) Hey, Beulah. It means to be married. Not only is he fond of her, he is so fond that he is going to take her to be his bride. That means he is also, you need to hear this, that means he is also going to take on the role of supporter, protector, provider, and leader. Men, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He said, no longer are you forsaken. Now you're my delight. No longer are you desolate. Now you're my bride. I need somebody to understand that it used to be when people would look at us, all they would see was the name that the enemy had branded us with. All they could see was forsaken. All they could see was addict. All they could see was distressed. All they could see was depressed. All they could see was anxious. All they could see was lost. But when God changed my name. I don't look like I used to look. I don't walk like I used to walk. I don't talk like I used to talk. He made the difference. He made that difference. He took me from desolation to declaration. No longer am I on my own, but he has declared me to be his bride. He has declared me to be his people. He has declared us to be his people. Now we're no longer desolate, but now he is my banner. He is the banner that flies over me. I rest in his shadow. I walk in his shadow. My name has been changed. But the name of my land has been changed. What was once renounced and abandoned is now delighted in. What was once deserted and joyless is now the bride of Christ. No longer are we spiraling into abandonment. 
feeling alone with nowhere to turn, with nowhere to hide. No longer do we have to feel utterly exposed on all sides. No longer, and let me remind you, Isaiah's preaching this. With the enemy's army getting ready to invade. And like a, a good preacher, he's trying to help them understand your present situation is not your final destination. No longer are we bombarded with feelings of loss and despair. We don't have to live there. Forsaken, we felt. But forsaken, we are not. In the ancient days, the enemy would come in and destroy the crops and burn everything. They'd grab stones. They'd throw stones in the field. They would grab salt. And they would use salt to disrupt the pH balance in the soil to make it hard to grow anything. And let me just preach to the church right now. No longer do our fields reek of battles lost, of dreams shattered, and souls that have somehow slipped through the cracks. Desolate we were, but desolate we are not. Our name has been changed. No longer are people seen forsaken and desolate. But when they look at the church, what they see is Hephzibah. For I delight in her. They see the hand of God. They hear the report of the Lord. No longer when they look at our city do they see desolation. But they see Beulah. They see growth. They see God moving. God is working. And when we took on the name of Jesus in our marriage to him, we gained all power both in heaven and in earth. We are his bride. We have the authority through his name. We are the sheep of his pasture. He hath made us kings and priests. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your God. Stand with me this morning. John 14, 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. We, like the disciples that Jesus was speaking to in John 14, we get to be involved in the redemptive plan of God. The redemptive plan of God for the world. We're now able to perform the missionary mandate of what Jesus had begun. We are able to go ye therefore and teach all nations. We're able to evangelize the masses and we're able to disciple the converts. No longer is our field desolate, but it is time to let your faith arise. It is time to take notice that this is the time of harvest. We are preparing our equipment. We are getting things in order. And the fields have turned from the bright green of the spring and summer to the golden brown of harvest time. It's time to open the doors of the, the, the barns and to bring out the harvesting equipment. It's time to win souls. It's it's time to evangelize. It's time to disciple.
Make a note of this for your teaching Bible studies class on the 29th. There's a difference between evangelism and discipleship. Yeah. An evangelist is one that brings the good news. Right. A disciple is one who learns. One who examines the word of God and pulls out the lifestyle. This is literally the biblical definition of a disciple. Studying to learn the word of God to pull out the lifestyle that the word of God demands. It's studying the word of God and then taking that and making it applied to my life. It's time for the people of God to not just evangelize, but to disciple. It is time to be like Jesus and pull them close, spend time, spend resources. It's time to let the Shekinah glory of God fall in our city and in our homes and in our church. It's time to reap the harvest because we understand that our name has been changed. God is delighting in us. I wonder if I have anybody here today that says, you know what? My name has been changed. Maybe I've been filled with the Holy Ghost baptized in his name. I want more of him. I want to draw closer to him. I want a greater, I want a greater revelation of who he is. Until you call my revelation of who he is. But if you're here today and you have never been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, today is your day. It happens. It happens. It happens. It happens.